Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, many family Thanksgiving gatherings are full of awkward conversations, but there is one that's important to have anyway. We'll explain. Also this morning, money's tight, but you don't want to be a Grinch at Christmas time. We'll explore the benefits and potential pitfalls of using buy now, pay later services for your holiday gift list. In our community and business spotlight, Ohio Means Jobs wants you to know about another local career opportunity, this time with Blanchard Valley Residential Services. And it's the perfect thriller to curl up with on a cold winter's night by the fire. Master storyteller David Baldacci talks about his latest novel, The Edge. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, November 21st, 2023. Coming up on Thanksgiving, one of the things that we can be thankful for is that we live in a place where we are generally safe. I mean, I don't think uh, any of us in Findlay really worries about walking down the street at night and being the victim of a random crime. I mean, it can happen anywhere, certainly, and we always want to be vigilant and all of that, but I don't know that we are necessarily real concerned about that. However, a recent Gallup poll, this is the reason I bring this up, a recent Gallup poll indicates that concerns about certain crimes in the United States are at near record highs, despite a decrease nationwide in violent crime. So the perception doesn't necessarily align with reality. The survey found that 28% of Americans worry frequently or occasionally about being murdered. That is a level not seen in years. That's more than one in four worried about being murdered randomly. Uh, Worries about car theft, mugging, attacks while driving, and identity theft are at or near record highs. This heightened apprehension has led to Americans limiting common activities. 40% are afraid to walk alone at night within a mile of their homes. That is the highest number in three decades. And this, despite the fact the government data shows a downward trend in violent crime, with rates falling to pre-pandemic levels in 2022. According to the Miami Herald, the disconnect between public fears and crime rates is a recurring phenomenon with historical trends suggesting that local spikes in crime do not necessarily indicate a nationwide crime wave. Sociologist Barry Glasner in the Miami Herald piece emphasizes that concern levels are not directly linked to actual crime rates. Kind of interesting, but I I thought it's uh, worth pointing out that uh, that is one thing that we can be thankful for in Findlay and Hancock County, and I think in general, we feel fairly safe walking the streets at night. But kind of interesting, one in four worry about being murdered just randomly. It's uh, crazy. Some of the other first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. You heard the old adage, don't judge a book by its cover. 57% of Americans say they have bought or read a book based on its cover. (laughs) This is a a new survey of 2,000 adults. The average person, they say, reads eight books a month or almost 100 books a year. I've got some catching up to do. Um, Two-thirds of respondents admitted that they only read books that have been adapted for film or TV. That's how we find books to read are... Maybe we've seen a TV show or a movie and said, I bet that's a good book. You know, lots of movies, TV shows based on books. And so the thrift books uh, found that thrift book survey, I should say, found that Americans enjoy book covers with a compelling color palette, an image of the protagonist and a detailed illustration Um, on the list of the books with the best covers. Danielle Steele books. Any Danielle Steele book and the book Misery by Stephen King. I'll have to look that up. I'm I'm at a loss. I'm having trouble bringing up a mental image of the cover of that book, Misery by Stephen King. Uh, according to a spokesperson for Thrift Books, which commissioned the survey, our research shows that sometimes readers can tap into their experience to correctly predict whether they will like a book based on its cover 
alone. So they say, don't judge a book by its cover, but we do. I'm interesting. With the Thanksgiving holiday right around the corner, this is rather interesting because it's all about the food. A new study finds belly fat could be linked to early stages of Alzheimer's. They found that those in their 40s and 50s with more hidden belly fat had a higher amount of abnormal protein in the part of the brain where dementia occurs. The study's senior author said men have a higher relationship between belly fat and the brain because, again, to quote an old saying, the way to a man's brain is through his stomach. I know it's the heart, but <laughs> according to this, the man to a way to a man's brain is through his stomach. Um, the research also showed a relationship between belly fat and brain atrophy, which is important since the brain wasting away is a biomarker of Alzheimer's, of course. So... Kind of interesting. You got a pot belly, could be setting yourself up for Alzheimer's. I don't know that it's necessarily what they're saying is that it's necessarily correlated that eating too much and uh, carrying too much weight can lead to Alzheimer's, just that there is a relationship between belly fat and the brain. So I'm not sure that there, we shouldn't mistake correlation for causation here but it's interesting nonetheless and if you're trying to lose that belly fat now this is probably not the best time of year to try and do that because we've got thanksgiving and then christmas and new year's and it's all about food and snacks and you know sweet treats and all of that not a great time to lose weight but if you are don't count any don't count on any help from your spouse or partner a study from the University of Connecticut found that trying to lose weight with a partner does not make it easier to resist high-calorie foods. Again, this goes against everything that we have been told that it's easier to lose weight when you have a buddy and you know all of that. Apparently, that is not the case. The study of 64 couples found that embarking on weight loss goals together did not help with self-control. Couples did not necessarily start out with the same level of determination or experience equal changes in motivation levels. So you may be more motivated than your spouse. You may lose some of that motivation more so than your spouse or vice versa. And so it doesn't really work that way. Um, Self-control did change on personal levels. Sometimes people think of self-control as something that doesn't change, according to Professor Tricia Leahy, but our study goes to show that with a behavioral weight loss program that teaches behavior change strategies, we can improve people's self-control in the pursuit of their goals. So, interesting. Don't count on any help from your partner or significant other, especially this time of year. I got to think that would be uh, iffy at best. And uh, speaking of eating things that we really shouldn't, can happen to our pets too. This time of year, according to veterinarian Dr. Julie Busby, uh, your dog should not be partaking in every item on your Thanksgiving plate. And I think we know this, but it's always good to have a reminder as we come up on the holiday. Dr. Busby has shared a recipe, shared the recipe, it says, for a safe and nutritious pause giving. So while you will be enjoying turkey with all the trimmings, your dog shouldn't be. Five safe foods for Fido. Cooked, unseasoned turkey. Small quantities of fresh cranberry sauce, as long as it doesn't have sugar or spices. Plain cooked green beans. Equally unseasoned sweet potatoes. And cooked or canned pumpkin. Again, provided it is not spiced or sweetened. Those apparently are okay for your dog. On the other hand, some common turkey day foods should not be given to your pets, should not be given to or stolen by your pooch, because we know the (laughs) dog sometimes can't resist and will sneak a little bit, or you'll feed them under the table, scraps will fall onto the floor. Be careful with unbaked bread dough, which is really not healthy for us either, but unbaked bread dough, grapes and raisins, or foods containing them, they can be very dangerous for your dog. 
rich desserts, buttered mashed potatoes and gravy, or buttery sweet potato casserole, and of course, be very, very careful of the turkey bones. Any uh, bird bone, they're very, uh, well, they're they're hollow, um, and so they can be broken apart by a dog in their jowls and ingested, and they can create a blockage or uh, get caught in the uh, throat. So, yeah, turkey bones are a definite, definite no-go. No go. Not the same as steak bones and, and that kind of thing, beef bones and, and so on. So, uh, turkey bones, a big no-no for the dog. So, some of the things that uh, you can give to your dog and some of the things that your pet should avoid on Thanksgiving. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories, the most important things to know right out of the gate on this Tuesday morning. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Showers are likely today. A high in the mid-50s. Mostly cloudy tonight. Uh, low around 40. The Finley City Schools Turkeys for Trojans initiative assembled, packaged, loaded, and delivered 50 Thanksgiving meals for 50 Finley High School families in need. High school principal Meg Simon is amazed by the generosity of the Finley community. So incredible to see this community come together to support Finley High School families in need. And in the future, we hope to expand this initiative and impact the entire Finley City Schools district. As Meg said, they want to expand it in the future. Get more of our conversation with her about the Turkeys for Trojans initiative in the story on our website. A Democrat state rep from suburban Cleveland has been removed from committees and banned from contacting staff following an alleged pattern of erratic and abusive behavior. Documents obtained by the Associated Press on Friday outline concerns from House Democratic leadership over Elliot Forehan of South Euclid. They cite alleged repeated hostile interactions with legislators, staff, and constituents. That includes one over the Israel-Hamas war with a Muslim colleague that left her, quote, visibly shaken, unquote. Forehan, who represents some heavily Jewish communities in the Cleveland area, calls the situation unfortunate and says he's determined not to back down from supporting Israel. Dave James, I went in news. Hancock County Engineer Doug Cade has been named the 2023 recipient of the David Brand Safety Award in Ohio. The award recognizes an individual's lifetime contributions to improving safety and eliminating injuries and fatalities. It's a national award for safety for a lifetime achievement of safety per project. So we're... 30 some years. Congratulations Thank on you. that. Thank you. Appreciate right. it. And, uh, that was like, quite an honor to get nominated. Kate is now a finalist for the National Award, which will be presented in the spring by the National Association of County Engineers. We recently spoke with Kate about how the new overpasses on State Route 15 will improve safety, and you can see that video in the story on our website. Don't forget, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, with Thanksgiving on the way, there will certainly be no shortage of awkward family conversations. But here is one that you should not avoid and actually embrace, and that is having an honest conversation about your family's health history, specifically as it relates to cancer. And joining us this morning is Susan Manley. Uh, Myriad Genetics, and uh, Ashley Dedman, who uh, is, in her own words, a breast cancer previvor, which we'll explain in just a moment. But Susan, let me start with you. Explain why it is so crucial uh, for people to have these conversations to understand their family's history when it comes to cancer. Yes, as you mentioned, it's an important opportunity as we gather with ham- family throughout the holidays, and and we should talk about it because our families share a lot of wonderful things with each other, including our DNA and our genes. And so all of the good qualities we get from our family are wonderful, but they also, some of those genes are linked to inherited medical conditions such as risk for cancer. So finding out about your relative's health histories, including cancer, can unlock opportunities 
opportunities for you to be more proactive about your own health care. Family members who have a history of breast, ovarian, colon, or endometrial cancer can mean that you're at risk for those cancers as well. And it can qualify you for genetic testing, which can give you even more definitive answers about your own cancer risk. And Ashley, your experience really underscores everything that Susan was just talking about there, right? Yes, it does. And it was really knowing my family history that helped me to be able to make informed decisions about my health. Um, breast cancer impacted three generations of women in my family. My mother had metastatic breast cancer. Um, shortly after she passed away, my father found out that he had prostate cancer. Mm. I was 21 at the time, and I was scared for my own life. I, I thought I would be next. And so I reached out to my OBGYN, and I updated her on my family history because that can change at any time. We had conversations around genetic counseling and genetic testing. Um, I did go under, I did undergo genetic testing and I found out that I carry the BRCA2 gene mutation, which means that I am at a higher risk of, for breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and I have an elevated risk for other cancers. And it was through this information and through this knowledge that I was able to work with my medical team to create a blueprint for my standard of care moving forward. Um, at the age of 21, I began increased surveillance. And that consisted of breast MRIs, breast ultrasounds, and mammograms to aggressively monitor my breast health. After about a decade, I decided after having my first child to undergo a preventative double mastectomy to drastically reduce my risk. And I would have only been able to make these decisions and these options um, had it not been for genetic testing. And I would, and being able to um, have genetic testing, I first needed to know my family history. Yeah, uh, hence the uh, term uh, cancer previvor. And uh, Susan, what is, kind of walk us through the, the process of genetic cancer tests, hereditary cancer testing, and how it helps uh, individuals and clinicians assess uh, cancer risk and come up with that game plan, if you will. Yeah, sure. That's a great question. So the first step is gathering that family history information and having some family history of those types of cancers could qualify you to be able to take the genetic test. This genetic test is only ordered by healthcare providers. So taking all that information into your doctor and having a discussion is the first place. If you decide to move forward with genetic testing, the test itself is very simple. It's a blood test or a saliva collection. And then at Myriad Genetics, we look at a number of different genes involved with cancer risk with our My Risk genetic test. When we're done with our analysis, we report the results back to the healthcare provider and the patient, and we provide a specific cancer risk estimate if there is a gene mutation in the family and some recommendations about how maybe to manage that cancer risk. But those choices are made with the patient and the healthcare provider, and everybody makes a different personalized plan. We heard about Ashley's plan. People make different decisions depending on their cancer risk, mm -hmm. the type of cancer it is, or even the experience they've had with cancer in their lifetime already. Yeah. So having that genetic information can empower people to make personalized decisions to reduce cancer risk or to detect it early when the chance for treatment is best. The key is, uh, as we always say, knowledge is power, and this gives you more information, more knowledge to make uh, better decisions. And again, I think it's important to underscore here, we're talking about a medical uh, genetic hereditary cancer test. This is not the genetic test, the off-the-shelf commercially available uh, genetic tests. Yes, that's correct. There are some direct-to-consumer tests that look at genetics of hair color or eye color right. or um, how straight or curly your hair is. This is something that is more serious and is used to make medical management decisions like increasing mammograms or colonoscopies and maybe even surgery, as Ashley described. So yeah. this test is done 
with a physician and um, with a physician's order. And uh, Ashley, uh, because you have been through this firsthand, as you were uh, describing, what advice would you give to individuals who may be a little bit hesitant? As we mentioned, Thanksgiving's coming up. There is no shortage of awkward family conversations. Uh, for those who feel like this may be one of them, what would you say? Education is key, and education begins with having the conversations with our family members. Every family dynamic is different, and you know, it's truly you know your family the best. Um, you might have family members where you want to write this information down and it's a little bit more structured. Yeah. And then others, it might just be having, you know, conversations while watching football and just, you know, hearing those stories. And when you're hearing these stories, you know, asking additional questions. And so it could, it could be as simple as that. So there's no right or wrong way. And, and it's not just a one time conversation. It's an ongoing conversation. And so I believe with this. Yes, yes. And I believe with this information, we're able to take this information back to our doctors so that we're even we're able to make informed health decisions. But also we're able to share this information with our grandchildren and our great grandchildren and, and our loved ones so that we're so that they can take the information back to their doctors. So I really believe this is a gift that keeps on giving. As a mother of two young girls, I am sharing with them early on their family history, mm. my genetic mutation, so that they're able, as they get older, to, to to share this information with their doctor. And so we're really normalizing the conversation at an early age. Yeah, and I like what you're talking about, that uh, generational aspect to it. Uh, again, uh, breast cancer previvor Ashley Dedman with us, along with Susan Manley from Myriad Genetics. Susan, where do we get more information on this? We have a lot more information on our website, which is myriad.com slash knowyourhistory. To your health this morning, ladies, thank you both for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. So you may remember we were talking about this uh, not all that long ago. You might have seen the uh, story in the news. The National Retail Federation expects about a 3.5% increase in year-over-year holiday sales this season, which is pretty much in line with the trends we saw before the pandemic. Certainly good news for retailers and for the economy as a whole. And if you've been paying attention, you know that a large number of Americans have already started their shopping, many even before Halloween. Uh, Erica White is vice president at the Buy Now Pay Later company Affirm. And Erica, according to your data, it's roughly half of Americans that have already started knocking out their holiday list, which by extension means that half haven't yet started. So what are those people waiting for? Sure. Thanks for having me today. A lot of consumers are getting stressed about the high costs we're all facing. Inflation might be stagnating around 5%, but that's still way up from pre-COVID times. And as a result of those high costs, they're feeling anxious about their finances this holiday season. So folks are holding out to see if they can get better deals if they wait longer. In fact, in this recent survey that you just mentioned, 8 in 10 out of the folks who are waiting to start their shopping are holding out for better deals. So even there, there's some risk there that you might not get the item you want in case it's sold out or something as the holidays get closer people are rolling the dice and willing to delay and uh, again this despite the fact that many retailers are already rolling out those early deals again some even before halloween so kind of interesting there that that angst is still a thing now as you are well aware and let's just address the elephant in the room right up front here the knock on buy how buy now pay later services such as yours is that they encourage consumers to overspend which again in your survey a lot of folks are worried about budgets and staying on budget and so on so what is your response to that criticism that services such as a firm were counter to that yeah i'm glad you asked the question so that i can have a chance to clarify so the first thing i want to clarify is that not all buy now pay later tools or products are created equal. So it is important for consumers to do their homework and understand the difference. But when speaking to a firm specifically, what I can certainly tell you is we not only 
discourage um, overspending, we actually prevent it. And the way we do that is when someone applies to make a purchase with a firm, if it doesn't look like that's a purchase that they can repay on the schedule they've requested, we will simply decline their application. We hope they'll come back later and maybe try again. But a firm has no late fees and we do not charge compounding interest. So if someone can't pay back what we've along the agreement of what we've agreed to, Mm -hmm. then it doesn't serve our business in addition to not serving the consumers. Now, by contrast, other products, other companies, they might benefit if someone misses a payment or can't afford to pay back. We don't. That's not the way we're... So with that in mind, with that established, what are some of the ways that shoppers can uh, maintain control of their budgets while still and crossing everything off their list. Yes, so I would say that buy now, pay later tools, again, do your homework, make sure you pick the right one. They can be great tools for helping manage your budget because they allow you more flexibility in your payment schedule. So instead of being stuck with a 30-day payment schedule every time, for instance, you might be offered a much larger variety of payment schedules that work with how you manage your budget. So I would definitely look for those. And more than half of consumers actually are already looking for buy now, pay later at checkout during this holiday season. Another tip that I would give is to also look for 0% promotions as you're looking at those buy now, pay later options. Two and three consumers are specifically keeping an eye out for promotions like this. A great place to find those promotions is in the Affirm app. So if you don't have it, would definitely recommend downloading, looking for your favorite merchants and seeing what promotions they have available. Now, the other component to this, and we talk about retail sales, but the other big spending category around the holiday season is travel. Uh, Obviously, always a very busy and pricey uh, consideration during the holidays. People still planning to travel this year, uh, according to your data? And again, if so, how are they going to swing that? According to our data, people are definitely planning to travel this holiday season. In fact, 65% of people we surveyed recently said that they're planning to spend on travel this holiday season. Fortunately for them, a lot of travel merchants ranging from American Airlines to Expedia, Kayak.com, VRBO for home rentals, they offer a firm. So that's allowing people to stretch their payments on a schedule that makes sense for them and still take the trips that they want to this holiday season. Again, keeping in mind that we don't want to overdo it and we want to be very cognizant about just how much we're spending. We don't want to start off the new year with the uh, uh, over-budgeting blues uh, from the uh, holiday season. Again, uh, Erica White is Vice President of Affirm. Thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Now, the Good Mornings Community and Business Spotlight. Once again, Ohio Means Jobs is in the spotlight this morning. If you are looking for work, Ohio Means Jobs should be your first stop to learn about and apply for some great opportunities, such as the one that we are highlighting today. Blanchard Valley Residential Services is seeking a direct support professional, and Tammy Boniface and Nicole Rosengarten are with us this morning. First of all, ladies, what is a direct support professional? What does uh, someone in that role do? So it's like a caregiver position. Um, We serve people with developmental disabilities in their homes. Mm -hmm. So number one is providing companionships, building those relationships, um, and also assistance with all the activities of daily living. So who would be a good fit for uh, this type of a position? We would say anybody that loves to work with people. We're a people business, anybody that has, you know, the heart that, that wants to provide care to people and have friendships with people with different abilities. So are there any special uh, requirements, qualifications, any special skills that you were looking for in filling this position? Um, employees just have to be 18. Um, and then all the training is provided by us during our orientation process. What would be the, what more can you tell us about the, the role of a direct support professional, what that job would look like? So basically, a direct support professional goes into homes, whether they're homes in the community that we serve or we also have a campus setting. Our campus setting um, would be providing much more hands-on assistance to people. They require more basic needs of, you know, um, assisting with all of their daily living skills. Um, out in the community, um, they're in there. They do caregiving needs as well, but they're also bringing people in the community more, um, you know, taking them with shopping, just all the daily things that you and I do in our daily lives is providing that support to people. 
Uh, and just to emphasize uh, this, because you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, when people hear caregiving for, mm-hmm. especially for special needs uh, individuals, they might think uh, you need a medical uh, background or uh, some social services background or something along those lines. And like you said, you provide all of the training that someone would need. Yep, absolutely. So the work hours would be what? That's another thing to hear you talk about. I'm thinking in the back of my mind, boy, this is, uh, you know, 24 hour a day job almost but that's obviously not the case we are hiring primarily for our second shift hours Um, we we provide care 24 hours a day actually Um, but we're primarily looking for the 2.30 to 10.30 or 2.30 to 8.30 p.m. spots Um, but we do have first shift opportunities available as well All right. so uh, how do folks uh, if they're interested learn more about this uh, position go about applying so simple as calling 419-422-6503 or going to our website, which is www.bvrsi.org. Now, obviously, as with all positions, you're looking to fill it as soon as possible. Correct. But is there an application deadline? Is there Are there any deadlines that people need to know about? Nope, there are not. Okay, uh, so the uh, direct support professional position with Blanchard Valley Residential Services is among many uh, that you can learn more about and apply for uh, if you uh, reach out to Ohio Means Jobs. They'll be able to send you in the right direction as well. Tammy Boniface and Nicole Rosengarten, Blanchard Valley Residential Services, with us this morning. Ladies, thanks very much. Thanks Thank for having you. us. The Community and Business Spotlight is a promotional advertisement paid for by the featured sponsor. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. The U.S. Navy making the broken news this morning, and that's a little unusual that we, you know, we don't want to make fun of the military. They're very important and uh, certainly an honorable, honorable organization. But I saw this story on the uh, Newswire, and I could not help but chuckle. Fortunately, everyone on board is okay after a Navy surveillance plane overshot a runway in Hawaii and ended up in the Kaneohe Bay. (laughs) It happened on Monday night. Nine people were on board the plane. No injuries were reported, thank goodness. It says here the plane was on approach to Marine Corps Air Station Kaneohe Bay, and it overshot the runway, ended up in the water, in the ocean, in the bay. Everyone on board evacuated once the plane went into the water. But what really made me stop and think is how <laughs> what does that say about the navy surveillance people the the <laughs> surveillance people of the navy if they couldn't see the runway to land properly <laughs> I'm not sure what that says about the surveillance abilities of the Navy if they <laughs> miss the runway. Oh, there's a runway there? <laughs> Doesn't say too much about their surveillance abilities. <laughs> Elsewhere in the broken news this morning, an Atlanta woman was in shock after discovering that she was mistakenly charged $7,112.98 for a sandwich at her local Subway store. $7,000 for a Subway sandwich. Vera Connor tells local news reporters that she noticed the charge during a routine check of her credit card balance. After noticing the tip amount on the bill matched several digits of her telephone number, she theorized that the computer screen changed as she was entering her number to collect her Subway rewards points and it was recorded as a tip instead. Maybe she misread the screen or something of that sort. It seems like an obvious mistake that should be fairly easy to correct, right? But after reaching out to both the Subway store manager and her credit card company, Ms. Connor has been unable to get the charge reversed. She said, this is unbelievable because I feel like everyone that sees it knows that it's a mistake. Everyone that I've talked to agrees that it's an error. Oh, that can't be right. But nobody can do anything about it. She said, I've worked in retail before. I know how we tally up at the end of the night. There does seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel. However, Subway, the corporate office, 
now tells the uh, local news outlet reported on this story that it is aware of her dispute and it is currently in the process of fixing the error with her bank. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. See, this is another problem we get into with our tipping culture today. We're asked to tip for everything and these things can happen, I guess. From the international file, the broken news. An Australian man who opted to sneak a ride beneath a tractor trailer rather than pay the cab fare for a 25-mile ride is lucky to be alive. You heard that right. He decided to hitch a ride underneath a semi-truck, the trailer of a semi-truck, rather than pay for a cab to get where he was going. The 43-year-old man, believed to be intoxicated, it said here, (laughs) believed to be intoxicated, was planning uh, a trip to the New South Wales coast, but ended up on the Gold Coast. There's a whole other place, according to Australian news reports. The driver of the rig discovered the stowaway when he glanced in his rearview mirror and noticed an orange piece of cloth underneath his trailer. Turned out to be, uh, I guess, the guy's coat or something like that flapping in the wind. He pulled over at the nearest emergency stopping area, the nearest rest area, to find the man climbing out from the gate racks stored on the underside of the trailer. <laughs> Rather than call the police, the driver took pity on the man and offered to let him ride in the cab with him. He reconsidered, however, when the conversation became strained. Instead of a free ride home, the hitcher ended up at a police station nearly 250 miles away where he was fined $288 and... Uh, got a uh, trip to the railway station for the journey back home. <laughs> so so his trip was an adventure. Believed to be intoxicated. That was And the other part of the story that I love is that the uh, the driver of the truck was going to give him a free ride but the conversation in the cab became strained. <laughs> and he said just get out. Just get out. <laughs> Oh, my. Uh, Speaking of the international file, people on vacation, kind of crazy situations. A British tourist by the name of Jack Fitzmorris was knocked out, knocked unconscious by a group of 20 women at a strip club in Thailand. (laughs) Mr. Fitzmorris was reportedly drinking with a woman when others became jealous. Uh, The women began to argue over which of them would get the honor of performing a lap dance for the customer. (laughs) This this argument turned out, uh, this argument turned into a full-out Wild West-type barroom brawl, according to witnesses, complete with a tangle of dancing poles and stilettos. When police arrived to break up the fight, Mr. Fitzmorris was found unconscious with blood on his shirt, and he said uh, he told authorities that he just wanted to go home and go to bed. (laughs) Well, you do go on vacation to have new and unique experiences, you know, so there is that. He's got a story to tell. Can you imagine he gets back from vacation and everybody at work says, so what did you do while you were in Thailand? Well, I don't know if he'll share that story. Uh, Let's see. A couple of other um, items here in the uh, broken news. Target is apologizing to a Minnesota woman who has received dozens of packages she didn't order. Kelly Witter of White Bear Lake, Minnesota, says she returned home from a trip last week and found 133 boxes stacked outside her apartment. She said she's been getting packages from an eyewear company that sells online through Target's website for about a year, but this past Monday's misdelivery was the biggest ever. The biggest yet. 133 boxes (laughs) outside of her apartment. By the time she broke down the boxes from the big mistake, she had another 10 boxes waiting for her. They keep coming. Target released a statement saying that they are working with the vendor to fix the problem. And I thought this was kind of interesting. They gave her a gift card for her inconvenience so she can order 
more packages. <laughs> That's the last thing that I want. <laughs> and finally, in the broken news this morning, a public service announcement, don't drive drunk. And especially, don't drive drunk to the county jail to bail out your friend who was just arrested for driving drunk. Authorities in Washburn County, Washington, say a local man learned that lesson the hard way. On Saturday night, the state patrol arrested Anthony Kaprowski in the jail parking lot for operating under the influence after jail staff said he looked inebriated. Mr. Kaprowski was there to pick up a friend who had been arrested for drunk driving earlier that night. <laughs> he, he was taken to jail. And now they're both there and looking for someone to bail them out. Hopefully someone sober. There you go. That is today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. WFIN is your home of Finley Trojan Basketball. This is Tim Montgomery. Join me and Coach Cliff Height as we follow Jim Rookie's Trojans throughout the season. From the opening tip to the final buzzer, you'll get every drive, every dunk, and every free throw. Trojan basketball returns Friday, December 1st as Finley hosts Defiance. The Finley Trojans on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. You remember we were talking earlier at the beginning of the program about that University of Connecticut, University of Connecticut study that found that having a weight loss buddy does not necessarily make it any easier to resist those high calorie foods. Uh, we think of, you know, couples that decide to do this together and kind of encourage each other and motivate each other uh, to lose weight doesn't really work that way. Different levels of determination, different levels of motivation between the uh, couples uh, makes makes it not always a, a good idea or a, a successful idea. Well, according to a new survey of 2,000 adults commissioned by Herbalife, most of us aren't even worrying about it anyway. 72% of Americans say they are planning to enjoy the end of the year without worrying about their diet. <laughs> 72% of us are, are deliberately uh, not just not worrying about it, but deliberately um, not, not concerned at all. The average respondent in the survey expects to gain eight pounds this holiday season compared to five and a half pounds last year, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. When you have all of these surveys of people uh, spending more uh, during the holiday, how much more we're going to spend during the holiday, how much more or less we're going to travel. This is how much more weight we're going to gain <laughs> during the holiday season. Uh, and it is up this year, eight pounds as compared to five and a half pounds last year 66 percent. we said 72 percent are planning to enjoy the end of the year without worrying about their diet 66 percent, two-thirds actually use the end of the year to deliberately postpone their healthy habits they are making a conscious decision not only to not care but deliberately to ignore their healthy habits in this final month and a half of the year and it takes the average respondent in the survey about 19 days, they say, to get back on track and start healthy new habits or resume their healthy habits in the new year. Which brings up the topic of New Year's resolutions. Popular ones for 2024 include eating healthier, exercising more, and getting more sleep. Which it seems like those are the ones that we hear every year. And this year is going to be no different. Dr. Kent Bradley from Herbalife says, make sure you take the time to plan and prepare for the positive behavior changes that you would like to make and be kind to yourself in the process. <laughs> and I thought that was what it was all about, ignoring our healthy habits <laughs> for the last month and a half of the year, that we're being kind to ourselves by not worrying about it. 
Well, if you are looking for a good read on a cold winter's night by the fire, we've got one for you. Master storyteller David Baldacci is out with the follow-up to his best-selling thriller, The 620 Man. It's called The Edge. So, David, kind of bring us up to speed on this one here. Who is The 620 Man for the benefit of those who didn't uh, catch the first book? And what has he gotten himself into this time? Sure. Travis Devine is a former Army Ranger. He had to leave the Army under a, a cloud, dark cloud, and he feels great guilt about how his Army career ended. He wanted to stay in the Army his whole career, but he couldn't. So he was given an ultimatum in the 620 Man, which is it's named after the train he would take in from Westchester County, New York, into Manhattan every day to work on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy who used to be in the Army, who now runs this clandestine agency under the Department of Homeland Security, gives him an ultimatum. He said, you know, we know what you did in the Army, so you have two choices. One, you can go to Fort Leavenworth and spend out the rest of your days in, in the stockade there, or you can come and work for me. So he decides to go work for this guy <laughs> named Emerson Campbell. Kind of an easy and, choice, and I would edge, think. A very easy choice. Yeah. Yes, we would hope so, anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so in the Edge, um, there's a CIA uh, operative named Jenny Silkwell, uh, who's from Putnam, Maine, and she has been killed in Putnam, Maine. Her body was found floating in the ocean right off the, the coastline. So he's sent up there to figure out, was she killed because of her connection to the CIA? Did they torture her? Did she give away secrets that we need to be concerned about for national security? Or was her death somehow tied to her hometown and something that might have happened up there? Um, so he gets dropped into Putnam, Maine. He has to work with the local police officers up there. He has to talk to people who knew Jenny, family members that still live up there to figure out, you know, was it CIA based or was it based on something in her past? Mm-hmm. In and so he has to go through a lot of people, and a lot of challenges. And at the same time, there's someone else out there that's actually after him as well. So he's got a lot to handle. <laughs> I, you know, I wonder, is it, is it different, uh, the the approach different when you are writing a series? We mentioned this is the second uh, book in, in this series with this character. Is it a different approach when you're writing a series as opposed to a standalone book? Because I know you've done both. And I would imagine that you have to be careful kind of not to write yourself into a corner, but you also want to make sure that every story stands on its own, knowing that not everyone is necessarily going to read every book or in chronological order. No, you're absolutely right about that. So writing a standalone, you can sort of let, just let the you know the tap open and let the water come out as fast as you want, and yeah. it fills up the one story, and then you're done. So with a series, <clears throat> if you know it's going to be a series, when you sit down to write, then you have to give yourself flex, flexibility and latitude. So don't, you said, don't write yourself into a corner. Don't do something that allow that won't allow you to do something different in subsequent books. So you sort of leave a little things a little bit loosey goosey. Don't give away too much about history of the past. Set those those details in concrete that you can't change later on. But lay them out enough so there's something there. And then you can have flexibility going forward in the subsequent stories to sort of build out that history even more in a way that makes sense, but still allowing you some flexibility going forward in the subsequent books from yeah. there. And you also want to hang things back. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to leave everything on the field in that first book because you're going to bring the character back and mm-hmm. you have to have more things to write about. So yeah. you don't release all the emotional baggage of the history. You've got to, you know, turn the tap on and then turn the tap off. And was is this a character that you knew from the outset was going to be a multiple book series? You know, I can't say when I'm, it was in the middle of writing it that I did, but as I got closer to the end, I figured, yes, this guy has more juice to him. I'm yeah. going to bring him back. And because of that, I went back in the first novel and changed a few things here and there to give hmm. myself some more latitude in future books. Yeah. Um, and which I thought was important as well, because well, you know, once you once you set it in stone, it's really difficult unless you're counting on all of your readers suffering amnesia <laughs> that they're going to remember <laughs> right. these things. Well, and so, then, uh, and, yeah, I, I did. Uh, yeah, and and then I wonder, how do you know when it's time to end the series? When a character has kind of run its course, or when you've completed that arc? So for me, I think historically it's been when other characters come along that I'm more interested in and more mm. fascinated by and that I want to spend my time writing about. It happens. You know, my first series was King and Maxwell, and I, I did five or six books for them. And then the Camel Club came along, and I was, like, fascinated by them. And I thought, let me do work on the Camel Club. And then Amos Decker came along, and I became more fascinated by him and then yeah. Aloysius Archer. And so some of the old series sort of get – you know, I don't want to say shunt it off to the side, but at least replaced by things that seem more fresh. Mm-hmm. And the other second point is, is there any any more room to evolve these characters? What have I not 
said about them, whatever right. I got told the readers about them. Yeah. And if, if I've done everything I want to do with those characters, and usually it's yeah. time to move on. Uh-huh. Also want to talk a little bit about some of your charitable work. Uh, first of all, uh, targeting family literacy with the Wish You Well Foundation that you and your wife founded. Tell us about this. So we founded the foundation about 23 years ago. We fund literacy organizations, programs, and initiatives across the country. We poured millions of dollars into this because our our mission is to eradicate illiteracy in the U.S. Illiteracy is tied to every social ill that we have, crime, poverty, homelessness, hunger. Um, If we could eradicate that, all those social ills would pretty much go away. But we don't. We don't spend a lot of money on it. We just assume people are going to learn how to read. But that one skill of reading... Uh, is going to dictate how well you're going to do in life, mm-hmm. uh, both economically, socially, intellectually, and lots of other ways. Plus, guess what? Reading makes you more open, tolerant, less opinionated, less static, um, and more empathetic. Yeah. Those are all great qualities as well. Oh, yeah. So we funded programs in pretty much every 50, all 50 states and counting. We'll continue to do so. We, we, we've done, we put more money into this over the pandemic years I think we ever had because a lot of those funding sources for these organizations dried up because corporations are like, you know, our business is dying. We're not going to give you any more money. Sorry. So we tried to step into that breach. And I think we just did a last funding round where I think we, we funded nearly a hundred different programs. Wow. Um, because we know that we know that it's important and it's in a great it's a great investment into the people of this country. Yeah, uh, and as you said, it 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 you know is there's so many uh, great returns uh, out of that. It, it's such a, a smart investment, and I know through the foundation you also have an initiative called Feeding Body and Mind, and that is a partnership with Feeding America. Yes, we do. So Feeding America runs the nation's food banks. They have this huge distribution pipeline where they. Um, give out food across the country. So we thought, well, they can do they can do food, they can do books. So hmm. people who are going and seeking food assistance are often literacy challenged as well. So when I would go out on my book tours, I'd send these big white boxes ahead. People would fill them up with new and gently used books and we'd pay to have those books shipped at local area food banks. So people going in can bring food home but also books home. That's and, awesome. you know, having a book at a home is a great thing. You know, having no books at a home is a bad thing. So yeah. we're trying to fill up homes with books. Yeah, that is awesome. So what is next for you? I mean, uh, what are you currently working on when you are not doing these promotional tours for The Edge? So my, my the next book that I'm going to have is a very different book for me. Um, it's coming out next April. It's set in 1968 in Virginia. It's a courtroom drama that I've been working on for probably 15 years. Hmm. Really poured sort of my heart and soul into this novel and um, it's autobiographical in many respects and I think it's an important book that people you know should read and understand and uh, sort of try to get what I'm trying to say and you know for uh, for a while I didn't think I was going to finish it because I didn't know if it was relevant anymore and then and I went back and read part of what I'd written and I realized that if I didn't tell you it was 1968 you might think it was contemporary hmm. so I thought well you know what it's still relevant then so yeah We'll see. We will uh, look forward to uh, speaking with you about that in the spring. In the meantime, the uh, new book is The Edge, follow-up to the best-selling thriller The 620 Men. David Baldacci, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. Certainly best of luck with the book. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage, and that, of course, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, it's our Thanksgiving show. We have the perfect wine pairings for your holiday feast, and let the shopping begin Not all Black Friday deals are created equal, though. We'll tell you the ones that are actually worth getting up early and fighting the crowds for. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.